Hello and welcome to Talking General Practice, the podcast from GP Online. I'm Emma Bauer, the editor of GP Online. We have a really special episode of the podcast today where we're talking about an issue that is so important, racism in medicine and what we can do to tackle it. I'm talking to a very special guest, Dr Chan Nagpal. Dr Nagpal is a London GP, a former chair of the BMA GP committee, and he was chair of the BMA as a whole between 2017 and 2022. In 2021, while he was chair, the BMA set up a national forum for racial and ethnic equality, the first time it had such a group. The BMA also conducted a landmark survey in 2022 to establish the scale of the issue of racism across the medical profession and how it affects doctors' well-being and their careers. Coming up, Dr Nagpal explains some of the key findings from that survey and what he believes the NHS and the medical profession need to do to tackle racism. We also talk about how we can address differential attainment in medical exams and disparities in GMC referrals, as well as the importance of having more leaders in medicine from different ethnic groups. I really hope you enjoy this conversation because, as I say, it's such an important issue. I'm really delighted to be joined on the podcast now by Dr. Chan Nagpal, who's someone who really needs very little introduction. Dr. Nagpal was elected onto the BMA's GP committee in 1996 and later became its chair between 2013 and 2017. He was elected as the first ever ethnic minority chair of the BMA, a role he held between 2017 and 2022, which meant he led the medical profession through the pandemic. Alongside his role as a GP, he's also now a board member of the charity Doctors in Distress and chairs the BMA's Forum for Racial and Ethnic Equality and is a board member of the NHS Race and Health Observatory. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Chand. I'm delighted to join you, Emma. Thank you very much for inviting me. I mentioned there that you're the chair of the BMA's National Forum for Racial and Ethnic Equality, which was set up in 2021 when you were chair of the BMA. At the time, you said it was a defining moment in the history of the BMA. I mean, why did the BMA set up that group then? There was no doubt in my mind and uh, that uh, racism in medicine has been an issue throughout my professional life. I've witnessed it in terms of my colleagues, and I was determined that when I became BMA Council Chair that I would use the opportunity for the BMA to uh, raise the profile of this issue and 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 have a clear aim to address it. So, in fact, um, shortly after becoming BMA Council Chair, I held the first ever race equality summit in the BMA. So, this was something I was very passionate about. What propelled us in 2020 were probably two things. First of all, the stark disproportionate impact of COVID on ethnic minority doctors. You know, the first 10 doctors who died all coming from an ethnic minority, and 85% of all doctors who died in the first wave coming from ethnic minorities, and the majority of them uh, coming from abroad. And these were statistics that really could not be explained away through any statistical variation. And what we all knew was this was around some structural factors that put certain doctors at, at greater risk of infection and death. And the second thing was, in the summer of 2020, we had Black Lives Matter. And this was a global phenomenon that really meant that ethnic minority doctors felt rightly that they were entitled to have fair treatment and be treated with equal opportunity. And they felt that this was the time that they could no longer just be tight-lipped and accept what had gone before. And I think it was that momentum that was built up that allowed us and allowed me as BMA Council Chair to say, we need to set this up uh, and set up a forum that gives proper voice and visibility and empowerment 
to the four in 10 doctors in the UK who are from ethnic minorities. So this is not a a small section of the medical profession. And more than half of of new registrants on the GMC register uh, in any one year now are doctors from overseas. So there's clearly a a real responsibility for the BMA to be addressing this. And we went live in January 2021, you know, in the midst of COVID. What's the aim of it? What are you trying to do with it all? What this forum has done is it has put a regional forum in every single part of England. And we have uh, Devolved Nation Fora uh, in Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland. What that means is that any BMA member of an ethnic minority can now be a member of their regional uh, forum. The forum is called the Forum for Racial and Ethnic Equality. The acronym is FREE. And therefore, it gives voice to ethnic minority doctors on the ground, because I think that's critical, because what we really need is to make sure that that the experiences of doctors on the ground are being heard, they're being taken on board, and that we as a BMA, as a trade union and a professional body, really has that understanding uh, from the ground. Each region has two co-chairs that sit on the national uh, forum that I chair. Uh, and those two representatives are representatives who have not held any national position on the BMA. So we've very much created this so that we are hearing the views of grassroots ethnic minority doctors. The other thing the fora do is that they also hold webinars and events. Uh, and as a result, we've increased uh, our reach and we've increased the engagement of ethnic minority BMA members, you know, by by thousands who were previously more the recipients of information from the BMA rather than the participants of the dialogue around the issues affecting ethnic minority doctors. So in terms of what we, I hope we would achieve is, first of all, remember that a core function of a trade union is to support its members in workplace-related issues. And with four in 10 doctors from ethnic minorities, who are suffering far greater levels of employment and workplace difficulties, it is the core responsibility of a trade union to be able to support those members. Uh, And if you look at the statistics, they're really quite bleak uh, when you look at the fact that even as medical students, ethnic minority medical students face bullying and harassment at four times the level as their counterparts. Twice as many ethnic minority doctors complain of bullying and harassment. We've done surveys in the BMA. They feel they're blamed for errors more often. They feel twice as likely to speak out when they see concerns in the workplace because they think they will be implicated. We know that they are referred for disciplinary measures, whether it's the GMC or whether internal disciplinary measures, at two to three times the rate. We know that when they try to look for jobs, they're far less likely to be shortlisted if they're looking for a consultant's post, less likely to be offered a consultant post. We know there's differential attainment within general practice profession as well as more widely in not therefore progressing in your career. There's an ethnicity pay gap. These are all issues that are should be bread and butter for a trade union to be supporting its workforce. And that is what I hope that this forum will enable is to give greater voice, greater visibility and a greater impetus for the BMA to play its part in addressing and supporting ethnic minority members.
Of course, one of the other things that happened while you were chair of the BMA was that there was a pretty major survey that happened in 2022 looking at actually the scale of racism across the medical profession. So this is across all branches of medicine. And that also set out recommendations on what needs to happen. You touched on some of those findings when you were talking there, but are there any other key findings from that survey that you think it's worth people knowing about? No, absolutely. And in fact, the findings that I had mentioned previously actually came out of another major piece of work that I'd led called Caring Supportive Collaborative. It was those findings that showed the scale of a poorer experience amongst ethnic minorities that led us to do this second survey, which actually went under the bonnet and looked in at more granular detail. And I believe that the um, racism in medicine survey that we did in 2022 was is probably the most detailed understanding of the micro experiences of ethnic minority doctors in the workplace. And in fact, they are actually quite stark. For example, more than half of black doctors, nearly half of Asian doctors, say that they feel that their clinical ability or professionalism is doubted at work compared to just 6% of white British. Another micro experience, having your work unfairly scrutinized. Nearly half of black doctors and about 44% of Asian doctors feel that's what what goes on, compared to just 4% of white British. Assuming to be in a more junior role, it's an appalling experience when you are qualified, you're highly qualified, and and someone thinks that the medical student is more senior to you. Well, you know, 58% of black doctors, nearly half of Asian doctors experience that compared to just 7% of white British. Receiving derogatory comments in the workplace. More than half of black doctors, 44% of Asian doctors say that's what they experience compared to just 7% of white British. And being socially excluded or ignored at work, it's an awful feeling uh, to feel excluded. Uh, And we all know that, you know, what that feels like. And again, more than half of black doctors and 44% of Asian doctors experience that compared to 5% of white British. So I think this survey really did look at those micro experiences that often aren't discussed, but it's those micro experiences that take a cumulative toll on individuals and can actually affect them deeply in terms of their confidence, in terms of their motivation at work, and really does lead to, in many cases, ill health. In fact, 60% of ethnic minority doctors said that these experiences on a daily basis, often in some cases, has resulted in negative impact on their health, either mental or physical. And so, you know, this is something we must take very seriously. And these micro experiences do need to be addressed. We're talking about racism from colleagues and structural racism issues, as well as racism from patients, aren't we? Obviously, they're two slightly different things, although the the experience of being on the other side of that is obviously very damaging and hurtful for the people involved. Do we need to look at these as two different things or should it all be addressed as one issue of tackling racism? I think they should be tackled as two separate issues. The first which is the way in which the NHS treats its workforce, is the responsibility of the NHS and the responsibility of policymakers, managers, and the profession itself. And this is in our hands. You know, it it strikes me as being highly incongruous that we have an NHS that prides itself on the fundamental founding principle of treating patients equally, regardless of who they are, whilst at the same time presiding over experiences and statistics that show 
that it treats its ethnic minority workforce so unfavorably and so unfairly. And I think that that does need to be tackled by the government, by NHS England in England, the devolved nations will have their own authorities, and by providers and commissioners. With regards to patients, that's a separate issue, and we need to make sure that there are steps taken and, and there are policies and action taken whenever there is racism experienced by the medical profession from patients themselves, and there needs to be a zero-tolerance approach. Again, what we found and what over the years is that many ethnic minority doctors experience racism, and they don't actually tell their employers, because from patients that is, because they actually feel the employer will do nothing about it, or in fact will make light of it. So that is a separate issue that does need to be tackled. But if I can also bring up that the impact of racism on the medical workforce actually is affecting patient services. Because we know that incivility causes a 61% reduction in cognitive ability. The GMC itself commissioned work that showed that when you are under stress or burnout, your chance of making a, a medical error goes up from 45% to 63%. And that doesn't come to surprise to any of us. We all know that when we're under huge stress, we don't think clearly. Now, if you're a doctor, you know, having that level of um, poor experience, stress, worry, feeling undermined, bullied, harassed, it will affect the way in which you provide care. And what our survey also showed is that 9% of ethnic minority doctors have actually stopped working because of these racist experiences. Uh, 23% are thinking of leaving the profession. And in fact, 16% have taken time off work through sickness or other reasons for absence because of their negative experiences at work. So this is literally affecting patient care and services at a time when we have such shortages of doctors in our health service. Yeah, absolutely. Given that retention of staff is so important at the minute, we obviously had that NHS long-term workforce plan that was published last year. Would you have liked to have seen more in that about tackling racism because it does directly impact on retention of staff? You're right, Emma. I mean, the workforce plan makes mention of inclusivity and makes mention of the need for there to be fairness amongst the medical workforce. But doesn't spell out the reality that racism is wrecking the lives of doctors and is wrecking, in fact, the NHS in terms of the, the numbers of doctors who feel they have to leave or who are not available to the workforce because they're off sick and the loss of productivity. Bullying and harassment alone has been estimated to cost the NHS £2 billion a year due to lost productivity and absence from work and so forth. So I would have liked to have seen that Upfront, because remember, we are talking about 42% of the NHS workforce. And we're talking about more, more than half of new doctors that come on stream onto the GMC register every year. So, yes, it should have been. And I think there should have been also a greater understanding that the NHS workforce's sustainability depends upon eradicating uh, racism, because otherwise we're going to see further diminution in our workforce at a time when the NHS literally is unable to cope as we speak. So yes, it should be much more upfront. But I also think we need to see um, a, a far greater understanding from government itself. It is so disappointing and shocking that in spite of 
all the evidence we saw through COVID. And in fact, after the Public Health England at the time published a report clearly showing structural racism afflicting the NHS, we had a government that has actually denied the existence of structural racism. It's important for bodies like like NHS England to demonstrate their independence of authority, their independence of thinking, and really make eradicating racism at the forefront of its workforce plan. But you know what I think is sometimes forgotten is that eradicating racism isn't just about correcting a moral wrong. In fact, there's plenty of evidence that organisations that have an inclusive environment where people are treated fairly actually uh, are much more productive. Uh, And in fact, the health service would have far better health outcomes for its patients if it actually treated its workforce equally. Uh, And remember, you know, the, the system we have at the moment is denying the population from doctors being able to reach their full potential. There are so many ethnic minority doctors who are so capable, who are so talented, whose whose skills and expertise is not being allowed to flourish because the system is either dumbing them down or not allowing them to progress and achieve the highest positions that would able to benefit patients in the greatest way. Both in terms of it being the right thing to do, it's also better for the nation's health to eradicate racism in medicine. Just talking about racism in, in workplaces, we kind of know it's it's really underreported. I mean, do you think that's because of fear of reprisals or because people think nothing will happen as a result of it? I mean, what can the NHS do? Does it need better processes for people to report incidents, do you think? Absolutely. And in the BMA racism in medicine survey, it was very clear. It showed that seven out of 10 doctors experiencing racism don't even raise it. So in many ways, the true extent of racism in medicine is highly underestimated because it's it's not even being made aware of. And in a way, that just propagates a problem because you don't speak about it. It allows the system to carry on as it is. But when we asked, you know, why did you not report it? Um, there were three main reasons. The first was they felt that nothing would be done about it. And that, again, goes ties into the fact that they feel they're in an environment that is inherently unfair. Therefore, why would an unfair system address it? Because if it was going to address it, they wouldn't be in that situation. So there's huge sense of hopelessness. Uh, the second reason was they thought they'd be seen as a troublemaker. And the third was that they felt that it would affect their career progression. And this is tragic. And we should be addressing this ourselves. When I say ourselves, I think in terms of NHS England in England, in terms of commissioners, in terms of providers, in terms of CQC, you know, we do need to address this. We need to have a a culture where, in fact, someone expressing racism should be thanked for expressing something that goes completely at the odds of an NHS value. The employer or the provider should be saying, thank you for telling, and let's find a way to resolve it. We should be wanting to hear about unfairness so that we can tackle it. And then about doing something would fit in, because if you actually had a culture that said, we take this seriously, we want to hear about it, then of course you would then want to do something about it. Doing something about it is, in my view, about creating a very positive, inclusive culture. This isn't just about just penalising people who and saying, gosh, you've, you, you've been racist. This is about doing much more than that. It's about getting people to recognise the value of working in a fair, inclusive environment, the value of seeing 
the people you work with becoming their best, seeing a happier environment. And, and as for career progression, it's tragic that doctors have actually experienced detriment for speaking out and talking about their unfair experiences. So this really does need to be tackled big time. It should be absolutely central to the workforce plan. It needs to be absolutely central to the working of the NHS. That's such a good point. You mentioned there about the fact that almost half of the the number of people who join the medical register now every year are doctors from overseas. How does racism particularly affect into what we call international medical graduates? Can you explain some of the survey findings around that at all? Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's um, well-established evidence that doctors who have come from abroad, so international medical graduates, IMGs for short, they have a far worse experience in the NHS. You know, when you look at complaints and referrals for disciplinary procedures, about three times are more likely to be referred to the GMC if you're an IMG. Remember, of course, when you come to this country uh, from another country, it's bad enough, it's difficult enough adjusting to a completely different country, the way, you know, just trying to find a place to live, a bank account, understanding the systems uh, of a new country. And at the same time, you're trying to also adapt to a completely different healthcare system with a new and different culture. So all of that put together puts an IMG under huge stress. And when they then work uh, within the NHS, they usually have a wholly inadequate induction. You know, it's not surprising, therefore, that they may not get things right, that they may actually not understand what to do. And instead of being supported, they're often then blamed or criticised. It's a vicious cycle. So really, you know, what we need as a nation is to be welcoming. We need to be showing that we understand the need for people to have time to to adapt, adjust, uh, and understand a new system. The narrative, I think, is really unfortunate because I think partly through uh, the way the government's narrative regarding migrants, uh, it does sort of make many ethnic minority doctors who come from other countries, you know, not not feel particularly welcomed. This is in stark contrast to the experience in many other nations like Australia or, or even the Middle East, in fact, uh, and the experience is that they're given not just a welcome, they're picked up from the airport, and that certainly does exist in Australia. They're given a place to live. And, and in fact, the nation's thanking them for coming to work there. That's not the way it feels for most IMGs. I also think this is an area that needs to be developed for general practice, because whilst NHS England have got a standardised induction for hospital doctors, there is no standardised induction for IMGs who come here to work in general practice. That the need for a, for a very comprehensive, sensitive induction is far greater in general practice because you're you're very much working on your own with a patient in the consulting room so this is something that really i believe needs to happen and i really you know would would implore that nhs england health education england they're combined of course now make this a priority looking specifically at general practice what did the survey tell us about racism in general practice and how much of an issue is it and how does it affect gps well, you know, the data, we didn't really disaggregate the data in that way. But in fact, when you look at existing data, there is actually very little information, which is a problem in itself. So, for example, when you look at differential referrals of ethnic minorities to the GMC, the GMC doesn't even publish data for general practice separate from hospitals. So I think this is an area we really need to get much more information from. But there are some things we do know. We do know, for example, that CQC inspections 
of practices that are led by ethnic minorities, you know, fare worse. It's my strong belief this is not because those doctors are, in fact, you know, deficient in any way. In fact, many of them have been working against all odds. They've not had the resources. They're working in more deprived areas. And far from being thanked for their efforts, they're then scrutinized and paraded as being poor practices. You know, there is clearly a problem with regards to CQC inspections that needs to be addressed. And because GP practices are small organizations in their own right, you don't have access to the same sort of data that you would in a hospital setting. But there are far too many anecdotes that I've come across where ethnic minority doctors um, are disadvantaged, some who, who can't get jobs in certain practices. We don't have the same equal opportunity processes at play. So you sometimes see practices that are almost exclusively made up of ethnic minorities and others exclusively made up of, of white British doctors literally in the same area. That tells you that we're not actually diversifying the general practice workforce in terms of incivility, bullying, harassment. Those are experiences that I'm sure and I know do take place in general practice affecting ethnic minority doctors, uh, often feeling un- unfairly treated. So I think this is an area that we need to really get more information about, but also do much more about raising awareness of the need for GP practices and those that run GP practices, I'm a partner, to enable an inclusive environment. Again, coming back to the point I made earlier, that by creating an inclusive environment, you actually get much more out of your workforce and you therefore have you know, better health outcomes. You, you actually become a more efficient practice. And it's interesting when you look at even the way in which general practice is managed, we are bombarded with a list of priorities and um, compulsory must-dos and mandatory training. And in fact, there's very little, if any, proper training and understanding of what it means to have racial literacy, what it means to understand as a as a GP, what it must mean for someone who's come from another country trying to work within a UK NHS health ethos. If it was me, I would make sure that this was a, a mainstream part of the training of, of GP staff and GPs. And I'd actually get rid of a lot of the other mandatory training, which is really box sticking. Uh, and this would actually make a real difference. And is there anything that practices can do themselves? How could practices make themselves a more inclusive environment or primary care networks? I mean, what would you recommend they do if they're worried about not being inclusive enough? I think, first of all, be very open-minded about taking on doctors from a variety of backgrounds, whether they come from abroad or ethnic minorities. Don't judge and recognise that they're highly talented. And it's about allowing them to flower, giving them support and seeing their true potential unfold in front of you. And and certainly I've got many examples where when practice have given such opportunities, they have benefited, the doctors benefited and patients have benefited. So I think having that that sense of opportunity. I think the other is recognizing that ethnic minority doctors do have, you know, especially if you're an IMG, uh, will have additional pressures, being sensitive to them, being supportive. Practices should certainly try and link into their local deaneries or or, or other arrangements in their uh, area with the ICB and check whether there are some support systems or or some induction or, or learning modules for IMGs. And I know that in many parts of England, that is happening on an ad hoc basis. As I said, I believe that should be standardized. And I think that every IMG working in general practice should have that opportunity for ongoing support and mentorship debriefing because you know this isn't something you just 
do in a as a crash course. It has to be ongoing. So I certainly think practice can certainly look at, at what external resources are available, plus making those changes within their own practice and cultural changes and being sensitive. And, and I think they would reap huge rewards if they put in that effort. Talking about exams, I mean, we know there is a big difference between pass rates between white and ethnic minority trainees, and that is even bigger when it comes to IMG doctors, as we've mentioned. What do you think are some of the reasons behind that and what do you think we can do to try and close the gap? Sure. I think the first thing to say is that the evidence shows that um, ethnic minority doctors who don't fare as well in postgraduate exams are not in any way less capable. Mm. That's what the evidence shows. Catherine Wolfe from UCL did that research. But what it does show is that learning and becoming skilled is a social construct. You know, we learn in groups. Uh, we learn with peers. Uh, and we also learn um, if we feel mentally positive uh, and our well-being is maintained. And all of those factors are actually have affect ethnic minorities adversely. There are subtle differences. Does uh, an ethnic minority GP trainee get the same involvement and interaction and feedback from their trainer as maybe a white British doctor? We don't know. The research needs to be done. My hunch is that the evidence shows in our more wider survey results that they don't feel as understood or as involved. So those sorts of things can certainly affect your training and preparation for an exam. Also feeling excluded and the other negative experiences can affect your sense of confidence in approaching an exam. So I think we need to look much more upstream before it even gets to sitting the exam, that there is, in my view, a disadvantage experienced in the lead up to an exam in the training years, where the negative experiences of ethnic minority doctors, in this case GPs, means that they don't uh, have the same benefits of learning as many of their UK colleagues. But, but you know, what's also worrying is that ethnic minority UK trained doctors are also suffering differential attainment. And that, again, I believe, is because the learning process isn't as supportive and their experience is as, as supportive. So that affects your whole preparation and how prepared you are to pass an exam. I think then you need to go to the exam itself. Whilst I recognise that the college has uh, changed its exam to try and address this, I think there also comes a time where you need to ask, you know, are these exams really um, capturing the, the true potential uh, skill set of doctors who are going to become GPs. Remember that for a GP to sit the exam, they will have been considered capable uh, and by their trainer. They'll have been signed off as having provided good care. There are doctors who have been considered to be excellent GP trainees in their practices and have ended up failing successive exams. Now, there's something not right there. And I'll be honest, I am a, a newly elected member of the RCGB Council. And so, uh, but, but, but I still would say that I think you do need to ask that rather basic question, that there is an incongruity, that if a doctor has been able to prove themselves as a trainee and have, has been considered by the trainer to be competent, why are they successively failing exams? And those exams, by the way, you know, that we have in, in, in the UK are, are quite unlike the sort of entrance qualifications required for general practice in other countries. And I do think we should be looking at this because it cannot be right to have doctors who have gone through years of training to have their career ending 
as a GP because of exams that somehow they can't pass, but yet they are considered to be capable GPs by their trainer. Remember, in general practice, it's a far bigger blow because in hospitals, you don't need to pass an exit exam to work in a non-training grade, for example. You can still be working as an orthopedic surgeon, but in general practice, that's it. If you've, if you've not passed your exam after the allowed number of attempts, you can no longer work in general practice. You've mentioned the GMC a few times, and this is something that causes so much worry and concern amongst doctors of all ethnic backgrounds, I think, the way the GMC regulation works. And we've seen some really shocking cases in recent years of doctors um, from different ethnic backgrounds who have been referred to the GMC for various problems. What sort of impact does that have on doctors knowing that you're disproportionately more likely to be referred to the GMC if you're from an ethnic minority? Does it affect doctors in their day-to-day practice, do you think? Absolutely. First of all, every doctor of any ethnic background lives in fear of a GMC referral. So it's bad enough as it is. But in fact, for ethnic minority doctors, for them, they feel that should they have the horrific situation of a GMC referral, the dice is cast against them. They feel the system is against them. They feel they will be unfairly assessed. And you can't blame ethnic minority doctors to feel like that. Uh, so it is a sense of fear ethnic minority doctors live with, uh, and it's borne out by the statistics. You are twice as likely to be referred if you're from an ethnic minority background, three times as likely to be referred compared to a UK doctor if you're an IMG. If you look at some of the well-publicized cases that have hit the media, even at face validity, you can see examples where there seems to be disproportionate penalties and judgments made against ethnic minority doctors. And at the same time, you often will see other doctors of a white British background going through GMC procedures and not having the same penalties. This is devastating. In fact, the mere receipt of notification from the GMC about being investigated, as far as an ethnic minority doctor is concerned, they feel it is a career-ending notification and a notification that will result in huge shame. They will not have any chance to to be given a fair chance to be uh, fighting their corner. The worst example I can think of is a, a doctor well publicized in the press, Dr. Suresh, who received notification of a GMC hearing and took his own life four hours later. I had been supporting um, his widow in her claim for justice because she's calling for GMC reform initially when I was BMA council chair. And since then, I've continued to uh, support that alongside other doctors. But, you know, that is the scale of impact it has. It makes doctors feel ill. They become recluse. They, They come from communities where, in fact, you know, being a doctor is a sense of pride and being told that you have been accused of things that, you, you know, in an unjust way makes you feel even even worse in such communities because, you, you, you know, there is, there is an element of stigma that, that is also in place. So that's why this is an issue that has to be tackled. We cannot have a situation where any doctor is unfairly or disproportionately referred to the GMC because of the colour of their skin. Remember, for GPs, it's not just the GMC and CQC. They also are subject to the Performance Advisory Group Performance Assessment by NHS England, an assessment of individual GPs which can remove their ability to practice, take them off the performance list, or impose significant sanctions. Anecdotally, I've come across several examples 
of ethnic minority GPs who've been unfairly treated or in a very heavy-handed manner. This is something I do believe we need to also look at because it's often overlooked. Those assessments are often done without the same, you could say, notices and the same structures as CQC inspections. So it's an area that needs to be also looked at. The GMC is trying to address this, just to to make clear to people who are listening. It's got an aim to eliminate disproportionate fitness to practice referrals of ethnic minority doctors by employers by 2026. But the progress on that has been very, very slow. And I think that target is looking quite challenging. What more do you think needs to be done? What could be done to try and address it, do you think? Well, first of all, I think that not all of this is in the GMC's hands. A lot of the reform that needs to take place and change that needs to take place is well before it gets to the GMC. It's about having fair workplaces. It's about treating people fairly. It's about ending a environment of blame, because when you have an environment of blame, what ends up happening is you will pick on the weakest person. And if you think about it, an IMG is very unlikely to challenge because they're here to um, progress in their career. And if they are being scapegoated, they will not challenge in quite the same way as someone who may be more established as a UK graduate. So you've got to address culture and you've got to address the workplace. You also have to have systems that are fair in the way in which poor performance is is assessed and managed. Often there is a, a weaponizing of GMC referrals. I've seen that on numerous occasions. Doctors who are seen to be troublesome, or whistleblowers uh, or challenging authority are often investigated both for disciplinary processes with the double jeopardy of a GMC referral as well. So that whole issue are, needs to be addressed before it gets to the GMC. I think the other is the GMC itself needs reform. And I'll boldly say, and I've said it before, this this is going to happen magically because the GMC has set a target. I think the GMC's own processes need to be independently evaluated, that some of the decisions that have been taken to even investigate a doctor, and I would say that every single referral to the GMC should be scrutinized externally before the GMC even takes it on so that you know we have almost like a, a scrutiny process to make sure that no one is unfairly even taken forward for an investigation. When you look at the whole investigative process, the GMC processes are adversarial. They're based on case building against the doctor. Then the case itself is barrister-led. They're not wired to, to, to find the defendant innocent. So that you've already got a system that is adversarial and built upon winning a case. That's wrong. These should be tribunals where you are looking for what's fair and right and true. And you should have a system where the GMC barrister or the GMC advocate should be able to, in the middle of a case, say, I'm not taking this forward because enough evidence has been presented that this you know, doesn't hold water. You don't see that happening because it is built around an adversarial barrister-led model. And I would end that. I would end that sort of system. I mentioned at the start that you were the first chair of the BMA from an ethnic minority. How important is it that we have more leaders within medicine and within the NHS more widely who come from different ethnic backgrounds? And what can we do to help achieve that? I think it's fundamental. And, you know, I joined the BMA as a GPC member in 1996. At that time, I felt very much out of place because there were hardly any non-white members uh, of the committee. In fact, I was the first ethnic minority member on the GPC executive. I was the first ethnic minority chair of GPC. 
And of course, we've come a long way since we've had an ethnic minority female chair of GPC, and we see far more ethnic minorities uh, I- holding positions of leadership in the BMA. But but really, it has taken a long time. I thought it was incredibly important for ethnic minority doctors that there was finally an ethnic minority chair of the BMA. And I think it should not have taken, I think it was 189 years for that to happen. But I also took on that role with this sense of responsibility that I owed it to the 42% of doctors who were ethnic minorities. And in fact, I owed it even more so to the generations of ethnic minority doctors who had predated me, who had actually helped the NHS first get a footing, but help the NHS survive all those years. And which is why I felt it was vital that in my role, I needed to do something almost for, for the BMA to pay back and recognize the value and worth of our ethnic minority workforce. And if I can just say about GPs, I have been struck when I look at the history of general practice, uh, at how many GPs who uh, worked in the most difficult environments through the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, who actually were working in poor premises because they just weren't given support and funding while seeing many of their other colleagues in much larger health centers. And they just plowed on serving their communities year after year, decade after decade. They built up practices from scratch and they're now still there in much better premises. But, you know, we owe them an immense sense of gratitude. And I don't think that UK general practice would be here today if it wasn't for ethnic minority GPs. That was one of the driving forces as to what I wanted to achieve as BMA Council Chair, to really raise the spectre and raise the understanding of not just our current workforce, but really the contribution of the ethnic minority workforce to our NHS and to UK general practice. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Dr. Nagpal. Emma, it's an absolute pleasure. In particular, thank you very much for allowing us to talk about an issue that matters so much for the medical profession and also for the health of the nation. Thank you. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening. And thank you so much to Dr. Chan Nagpal for taking the time to talk with me this week. We've put a link to the full results from that survey we were talking about and some other useful resources and information in the notes for this episode. So do have a look at those if you want to find out more about some of the issues we've been talking about today. I'll be back next week for our regular news review, so please do join me then. In the meantime, don't forget you can keep up to date with all the latest news affecting general practice and access a host of other resources on our website at gponline.com. 